Hey, what's up, everybody, and thank you for checking out the Derek Diamond Experience. This week, we will be looking into the world of comic books with Stephen Butler and Barry Gregory. But first, I want to tell you about a fantastic new album from my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers. It's called Murder Mystery Night and features 10 original tracks, including their new single, Carne Asada, and Twin Peaks, which happens to be the theme song of the Derek Diamond Experience. Murder Mystery Night is currently available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Music, and Spotify. And if you're interested in booking them for shows, like them on Facebook, just search for The Unicorn Wranglers. And don't forget to follow them on both Twitter and Instagram, and those handles are at Wranglers. That's at U-W-R-A-N-G-L-E-R-S. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Derek, Derek. Diamond, diamond, diamond. Experience! What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience for the week of June 1st, 2015. As always, I am coming to you from the mean streets of Pensacola, Florida. It's the first day of hurricane season, and it's kind of fitting because it just finished pouring rain here at Pensacola Bayfront Stadium. And you're getting this podcast a little bit later than usual, and I do apologize for that, but it's going to be well worth the wait because I've got a fantastic interview that we're going to jump right into with two great guests. And today we'll be looking into the world of comic books with Stephen Butler and Barry Gregory. Stephen Butler is a comic book artist who's worked on various titles such as Web of Spider-Man, Silver Sable, and most notably in my mind, the Sonic the Hedgehog comic book, and you'll get to hear why in this interview. And Barry Gregory has done pretty much everything in the world of comics. He's worked as a colorist, letterer, editor, writer, cover artist, you name it, he's done it. And they've actually joined uh, together, they've collaborated to work on this book called John Amon Amazing Man uh, from Gallant Comics, and you'll get to hear about that and how they got started with it, as well as their Kickstarter that they recently were successful in doing to finish off the first story arc of John Amon Amazing Man. And they're both great guys, and I do really appreciate them taking the time to do this interview. So we're not going to waste any more time. Sit back and enjoy this wonderful conversation I had with Stephen Butler and Barry Gregory. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience. Here with my two special guests this week. From the world of comic books, we have Stephen Butler and Barry Gregory. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Absolutely. So the first thing I wanted to ask you guys, um, where are you both uh, individually from? Uh, I, I grew up in Mississippi, but I, I live in Orlando, Florida now, and there have been about half a dozen states in between the two. I, I'm from Mississippi, and I'm still here, uh, the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, just about 60 miles north of Biloxi, a little town called Loosedale. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm I'm from the Gulf Coast as well, so... I can definitely relate to growing up there. Growing up, were you both interested in comic books, or was it something that kind of came along a little bit later? Oh, it's it's my it's my earliest memory is uh, uh, reading comics uh, that belonged to cousins of mine at an aunt's house. 
I'm the same way. Some of my earliest remembrances is, have been of drawing, but my drawing has always been tied into comics because I would copy the pages that I would see in the comics that I would that my parents would actually go out and buy for me at the uh, uh, the local uh, drugstore or the supermarket, uh, and I just fell in love with them at an early age. The bright colors, the the stories, the the, the characters, and I. I remember that was I would read them and love the stories, but but my whole thing is I want to do this one day, even at a very early age, and uh, and and so my drawing has always been connected to uh, to my love of comics. What specific comic books were you both interested in when you were younger? Oh, we were. I, th- I think we were. We were both uh, uh, children of the bronze. We were uh, yes. Marvel Marvel Bronze Age junkies as kids. I know I certainly I- was. I was an Avengers guy. Avengers was my favorite, my favorite oh, title. Yeah. Even though I love Justice League as well, I I would I would read both Marvel and DC. But I, I guess by and large, I gravitated more toward the Marvel, probably just because I like the artists there. They 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 pretty much captured my imagination more so. There were some artists at DC who are whose work I really really liked. But overall, I guess the house style. I guess if that makes sense, was something that really appealed to me at going on at Marvel Comics at the time, early seventies. Now, when you say you're children of the Bronze, what exactly does that mean? Because I know there's the Bronze Age, the Silver Age. You know, for those that may not know what that actually means, what do you mean by children of the Bronze? Well, the the silver the Silver Age is usually uh, considered the, the the period of comics from the very early 1960s into the very early 1970s. Uh, the Bronze Age, uh, people argue about when it began. I guess it depends on when you started reading them. I, I think the, the Bronze Age probably started around 1972 or so. Uh, yep. And that was around the time you know, that, I, that I learned to read. And, uh, and it continued on until the, probably the early 80s. I think it actually ended before that. But most people say the, the Bronze Age continued into the early 80s. Uh, and it, it more or less you know, started with... With the with the with the real renaissance at Marvel, uh, when they you know it, it, in the Silver Age Marvel you know was pretty much uh, you know Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, and a you know a, a small stable of artists. Starting in the early '70s was when they really started to bring in writers from the outside. You know guys like Marv Wolfman and Lynn Wein and and uh, Jerry Conway and uh, uh, Steve Englehart. You know Don McGregor, a lot of those guys, um, and that's really kind of started a. a kind of a mini renaissance at Marvel. And that's that's more or less when the Bronze Age began. I always associate the Bronze Age with the, the cover price of comics for some reason. Uh, yeah. whenever, I was, <laughs> whenever I was little, I, I, can, I can barely remember picking up some comics that were still 15 cents. But, mo- but by the time that I was reading them in the, very early, in the very early 70s, most of them were around 20 cents. But it doesn't seem like they stayed 20, 20 cents for very long. To me, the, no, they didn't. The, Real Bronze Age seems to be when comics were a quarter, and you could get four of them for a dollar, and I did. <laughs> Every time I would go, I wouldn't get any less than four. I, and I forget the candy bar and the and the and the drink. It was it was four comics for me uh, if I had a dollar for an allowance or whatever. Uh, and uh, and I would uh, I would read them. Now I would say the Bronze Age probably uh, for me. Uh, went up, up until comics were what thirty five, forty cents. Seems like by the time they were fifty cents, they, it was already into another, into another age. But the twenty five cent mark that was prime Bronze Age material. 
uh, yep. for me. Yeah, I and it's kind of unthinkable to think that you know comics were you know twenty five yeah. cents because now you see comics yeah. as expensive as four or five dollars. That's right. So I. I, I kind of envy that that you grew up doing that because you know if if there's a book I want to get I have to I have to shill out three or four dollars just to get a normal you know twenty two page comic book. But uh, how how did both of you get into the comic book industry? Well, uh, gosh, um, everything is tied everything is tied together. I'm tied. I've, I've been knowing Barry since since the time that I broke into uh, into comics. Unfortunately, we didn't break in together. We should have, but. This whole gallant thing that we're doing now is kind of our <laughs> our way of saying, "Hey, this is what we want to do all this time. Now let's now let's do it." I got started uh, into the comic business by meeting some other guys uh, that I've all, that I've been tied into since the very beginning at uh, at the University of Southern Mississippi. Both all three of them uh, from Ocean Springs, I think uh, originally, uh, and then Roland Man. Uh, who Barry was a friend with before I, before I was, but I met Mitch and Roland at uh, at USM. Uh, Roland was a writer. Uh, Mitch was another uh, artist. Somehow, I was the superhero guy. I wanted to draw superheroes. Mitch was more uh, influenced by the Warren magazines, creepy and eerie, and heavy metal, and all of that stuff. He could he could really <laughs> care less about superheroes, but he saw it as we all saw it as a way. Superheroes. So we put we put our we pulled our talents, I guess, together and uh, created some uh, uh, created some. Uh, well, actually, we just created one proposal called Cat and Mouse, and we started uh, we started pitching it to different comic book companies via the mail uh, back in back in those days. Uh, and we we did several other projects as well that didn't, for whatever various and sundry reason. I think Barry, you were involved uh, in that as well. Uh, that yeah. did it. Uh, that didn't make it, you know, into, we got published, uh, picked up by a company called Malibu Graphics uh, through their, uh, I can't remember if it was Eternity or Incel, one of their, they had like three or four different comic book lines. They were an independent black and white publisher, as it, as was so many, uh, it was during the black and white boom, or uh, I guess toward the end of it, uh, of the 1980s. And um, through that, through getting published through Cat and Mouse, other companies saw our work, uh, like like uh, I got hired on by First Comics, who we had sent our uh, cat and mouse pitch to, and where they didn't they didn't carry cat and mouse, they didn't they weren't interested in carrying that book. They they wanted me, and uh, so I, I I got hired to do the Badger, uh, and then after that moved on to Marvel, and then and then worked for them for ten years, and then on to Archie, and well. That's that's how that goes. Mitch got a job uh, with uh, with DC Comics, but he didn't start out there. He started at some other independent independent companies as well. So that's how I got that's how I got my start. It was with other other uh, local, I guess, Mississippi uh, comic uh, comic talent, and we just kind of branched out branched out from there. Yeah, that's that it. that's actually pretty much how we met. Was you know working together on. On that, uh, those several comics that that got pitched and like Cat and Mouse got picked up, uh, the one that uh, ones that I was working on didn't get picked up, but that, that's because Stephen wasn't drawing them. I'm I'm assuming. Ah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, I I actually uh, I, even though those didn't get picked up, you know, within a within a year or two, I sold a couple of uh, uh, short stories uh, to Malibu for some you know horror anthologies. 
that you know, believe it or not, comics publishers used to actually publish. And uh, and from there, you know, I had I had my foot in the door, and and I would just you know take any job that was that was thrown my way. But uh, but oh yeah, Stephen Stephen definitely got there before uh, before most of us, uh, certainly before I did. And I, I wanted to elaborate a little bit more on that because uh, Stephen, you actually work on the first ever comic book that I read, and that's one reason why I was you know stoked wow. to interview both of you guys. But uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog comic books that are done really? by Archie. The yeah. my my first comic book memory is in a local grocery store back when they used to sell comic books. I yeah. picked up Sonic the Hedgehog. It was issue number two, and I've read that series ever since then. Wow, that's cool to know, and that's that's wow. Makes me feel old. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to do that, but uh, no, no it's, it's what you. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say what you said about the about comics being available at grocery stores. This goes back to your earlier question about how we grew up uh, during our during our time. God, I do sound old now. Uh, back during the time whenever we were buying comics, we bought them at grocery stores, at drug stores. There was no such thing as a comic book shop, especially where I'm from. Uh, and and I didn't find out about a comic book shop, or even knew one existed until I just I ran into one whenever I was in college at uh, at USM. But the but but that's cool to know that <laughs> tied in Marvel uh, during the in the nineties Marvel uh, filed for for bankruptcy, which meant that they there was a mass firing of editors uh, and all of the people that I worked for. Uh, no longer had a job, so therefore I had no connections. So uh, I uh, had some connections at, uh, at or had one connection at Archie Comics, and I said, "Sure, I'll give it a, I'll give it a try." And uh, they said, "We need a, a, a Sonic uh, artist. Would you consider doing some backup stories?" And I said, "Sure, I'd love to." So I had to do the tryout thing, like you always, like you always do. And uh, I, I'd never drawn what what we call funny animal stories before, uh, but <laughs> found that I liked it. Once I, yeah, I know Sonic is not really. I, I kind of treated it as a as a superhero story, just disguised as a funny animal story, quote unquote, and uh, and it seemed to work. Uh, but I found that I really liked it after I started started doing it, and um, I, you know, I just shifted my, you know, my I guess my approach. I, I've, I've drawn Sonic more than any other comic that I've ever worked on in my career, 17, 17 years now. Uh, so. Um, so that's cool to know <laughs> that it was one of your uh, it was your first comic book uh, experience. I still feel old though. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, it, it's uh, like I was saying. I, I grew up a huge fan of video games, and yeah. Sonic was one of the games that I played. So when I saw the book, I was like, "Oh my god!" They have a comic book based off of you know this game that I play, and yeah. the, the story was completely different than the games, which I actually like because I, I like the story of the books much better than the games. And I don't know yeah. if, if you've heard about this, but there's a Sonic movie in the works. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm hoping that. that's cool. And I'm hoping that that's they base cool. it off of the comic books and not the games. Cause to me, the stories are just so much better. It definitely has its rapid fans. And I'm fine. I find that whenever I go to conventions, I get Marvel fans that want Spider-Man commission or Silver Sable or some of the other Punisher or something I've worked on. But then I get my Sonic Marvel, a Marvel book. And the same with the Marvel fans. They say, what have you done since you left Marvel? They think I've fallen off the face of the earth. <laughs> but, uh, 
but it's it's really crazy. It's like two different camps, all in the same all in the same comic book, you know, uh, industry. Uh, but it's all it's all cool. I guess that's what's it kept me it, it kept me going all this all this time. It's an ability to adapt to different I guess to different styles and different formats and whatever. But I enjoy doing it all. Awesome. And uh, Barry, when I was doing uh, research on both you guys before this interview, I noticed that you've you've done pretty much everything in the comic book industry. You've been a colorist, an editor, writer, cover artist. Doing these different jobs, is there a specific one that you enjoy doing more than others? I I enjoyed them all. I just wanted to be part of the process. I you know I wasn't really sure when I first broke in if I was if I was good enough to do any one thing consistently. So I thought I would be better off learning how to do everything. That way, anytime something came up, I could say, I can do that. And so uh, uh, it worked out pretty well for me. I, I really enjoyed being an editor. Uh, it was you know a strange job. It was one of those things that's immensely frustrating and immensely satisfying all at the same time. Um, and I think there's a there's a reason why there's a pretty high burnout rate among editors. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy coloring as well. Uh, just because I can kind of get into a, into a Zen thing with that and, uh, and, and just kind of disappear into what I'm doing. But I think, uh, when I, if, if you wake me up in the middle of the night and, and, and ask me what I am, I'll tell you I'm a writer, you know, cause that's, that's, that's how I guess I, I identify, uh, myself and uh uh i've certainly done more coloring and editing than i have writing but i i I think that's just because i i i tend to to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and and not let things uh uh, come out until i think they're fully baked i i consider myself to be a little bit of a writer too not in not in comic books but i do a lot of like local freelance film work and you know like short films and whatnot and i i love writing i just love you know creating characters creating you know atmosphere and places and it's it's like the whole world is your playground when you're writing oh yeah absolutely and uh another thing i wanted to ask you was uh you actually founded uh something called kablam publishing you you actually were a co-founder of that Uh, what exactly is it and uh how did you come up with it um about a a decade or so ago actually i i first looked into to print on demand technology uh when i was an editor in the late 90s uh just kind of uh ex- redoing a little bit of reading on it to see if that was something that might be feasible for the uh for the company that i was working for and at the time the technology just really wasn't quite there but i knew it was coming and and would be around soon and then uh, uh, about a decade or so, or maybe five or six years after that, uh, some uh, some other artists and I were were had started to to, to dabble in self publishing a little bit, and uh, and and we looked into print on demand uh, again to see if that might be a viable option for us, and uh, you know we found uh, we did about a year's worth of research into it, and we and we found that uh, the technology had caught up. And we thought that it was viable, and so we uh, we we got the we got the financing together and uh, and and invested in a in a press, and uh, thinking that at first that you know that we could start a publishing company, and just uh, you know print and publish our own books, and 
pretty quickly we realized that we we needed other revenue streams in order to justify the expense of that press. So we uh, we started something called Kablam, uh, which was a, uh, a a service bureau for for independent uh, publishers and self publishing creators, and uh, and it's really kind of grown out of control since then. And that's my uh, that's my full time job now, uh, about seventy hours a week. And uh, what we do is we uh, we 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 print uh, comics and paperbacks for uh, for small and independent publishers, and uh, we we help them sell it through a, through another website that we've set up called uh, IndiePlanet.com. And that's uh, that's what Kablam is all about is uh, helping. Uh, Small and independent publishers get their get their works into print and helping them uh, sell those uh, those books that they do print. And I think some, having something like that is great because yeah, you've got the the elite or you know mainstream comics like Marvel and DC, but when you go to a comic book shop, you see various different uh, comic brands like Image and various other ones. And I, I think having something like that for you know, people who want to make their own comics but don't necessarily work at Marvel or DC. You know, I think having something like that is great. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, it, it's you know, all the all the innovations in comics, pretty much from the you know, from the past several decades, all the innovations in comics have come from the outside and come up into the major publishers. And so it's it's really important that you know creators working on their own, small publishers, uh, have a chance to to get their comics into print and into people's hands, because that's where uh, uh, you know that's where the things that really drive the industry come from. That's where all the uh, the new blood that comes into uh, into the comics business uh, begins is with uh, small and independent publishers. I totally agree with that. So. How how did you guys meet, and what gave you the idea to collaborate on the book you're working on now, which is uh, John Amon, Amazing Man? We met uh, we met back around the time we were we were both finishing up college. Um, uh, we met through a, a mutual friend that uh, that Stephen mentioned earlier, a guy, a guy named Roland Mann, um, who had been you know friends with me since we were eleven, twelve years old, and whom Roland met in college. And when we, uh, we, we started, all of us, uh, a group of five or six of us trying to break into comics around the same time, you know, back when we were 22, 23 years old. And, uh, uh, and that's when we met. But, you know, curiously enough, uh, even though, you know, Stephen and I have been friends since then, uh, aside from, from one job for a, for a Marvel <laughs> licensing project, we had never worked together on anything until we decided to, to collaborate on uh, on Gallant Comics and uh, John Amon Amazing Man. I was just trying to remember what it, what it was. Was that the CD-ROM? Yeah, that was the uh, the How to Draw Marvel Comics way. the Marvel Way, the CD-ROM, that cover that we did. Now, what what gave you the idea for the, the story of, of Amazing Man? Um, we had, uh, a, a few years back, uh, uh, Stephen was, uh, was down here in Orlando, uh, for for a few months on a job, and he he stayed at uh, he stayed at my home for a, for a couple of weeks during that time, and uh, and we got to spend a little time together, uh, you know, and and you know, reminiscing about the old days, and and the subject you know of us having never worked together came up, and uh, 
And at the while he was down here, uh, one of the side projects that he was working on is uh, uh, I, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Stephen, but I, Archie Comics has a uh, uh, a line of characters, a line of superhero characters that they trot out, you know, every decade or so and try to make work. They're they're you know trying it again right now. But uh, back when when Stephen was here, he was they they commissioned him to do um, a little bit of trademark maintenance, basically re, you know redesigning those characters you know so that they could trot them out again. And I remember watching him you know take these characters that were created back in the 1940s, and you know just with a little bit of spit and polish, you know not not really changing them up a whole lot, but he managed to take these characters that you know looked like they belonged in the forties and make them look timeless. And, and that, that really, really stuck with me. So when, when he and I started talking about working together on something and, you know, you know, finally doing the kind of comic that we always wanted to do, uh, we knew we wanted to do a superhero book and, and we thought at first that we wanted to do a team book and we, we more or less quickly dismissed the idea of, of creating new characters you know, we wanted to take and, and adapt something. I don't remember exactly where the idea of, of going back into the, you know, the comics history and grabbing something from the public domain came in. But I do remember that John Amon was one of the first characters that we really noticed and really liked. And, uh, and, and, and Stephen's work on those, on those old Archie properties uh, was really in the forefront of my mind and really made me think that that would be a good way to go, that we could grab some characters, you know, from the 1940s and dust them off and really make them look, you know, classic and timeless and, and do a comic that would work today. And I'll, I'll add to that, that, that that project that he was talking about, it was, a, it was a who's who of the Archie superhero universe. And I must have drawn a hundred... Uh, superhero, superheroes and supervillains uh, from the golden age of Archie Comics to the Silver Age. Uh, and uh, this was a project that never saw the light of day. The reason why it didn't is because at that time, DC had liked Well, at the time I had finished the project, it took me a year to do it. Uh, I think I might have been like right at the beginning of the, of the work whenever I, was, uh, whenever I was down there with Barry. Uh, but after, after I finished the entire work, and had all of that investment in it. I got a phone call one day from my editor and said, "Oh, by the way, long story short, the book never got got, got published. But what came out of it was was what we was what Barry was just talking about. It, it was like the, I guess, the spark that uh, gave us the idea to do the uh, to do the John Amon project or the the Gallup pro, uh, Gallup Comics project, which John Amon is like a linchpin." And uh, another thing I wanted to bring up is when we were talking. Uh, you know, setting up this interview, you guys have been doing a Kickstarter for the issue that would complete the first story arc of Amazing Man, and recently you guys met your goal for the Kickstarter. So I, I did want to say congratulations for that. And uh, thank you. Ha- and how does it thank feel? You so much. And how does it feel to uh, have something like that? You know, have people donate to a project that you're working on. You know, I, I underestimated how, how stressful a Kickstarter campaign would be. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, we, we put it all together, and, and, uh, and it took us, you know, months to actually pull the trigger on it. I was, I was, you know, hesitant to do it for several reasons, but 
But once we finally pull the trigger on it, you know, we have a, a tremendous first couple of days, you know, and I, I look at the trend lines, you know, and the trend lines are saying, you know, that we're going to get 700% of our goal and all this. And I, I, I knew that wasn't going to happen, but you know, you, you want to believe that it can. And, and I had noticed, uh, in, in doing my research, I had looked at a lot of successful campaigns and kind of, uh, because I'm something of a math nerd, I kind of looked at, at some graphs and, and, uh, to see how, uh, uh, how, how certain campaigns broke down. And I found a handful of campaigns that I thought were similar to ours. And I noticed that most of them had kind of a, uh, a U shape, you know, they, they, they start off really strong. They, you know, uh, you know, the graph goes up to form, you know, the, the, the part of the U and then it starts slowly sloping until it kind of bottoms out. And then if it's successful, it starts back up again and completes the U. And uh, if it doesn't, you know, then it's an L. It starts strong and it goes to the bottom and just stays there. Uh, the stressful part for us was when we were in the belly of the U. You know, we, we had a really strong start and then it dropped off. And, you know, that time wondering, am I a U or am I an L? You know, are, am I going to start picking back up and we're going to make it? Or are we, you know, are we boned here? Is it, <laughs> are we just going to be flatlined for the next, you know, 20 some odd days? But when it started picking back up again, it picked back up really, really strong. And, uh, you know, the, the first story arc was always conceived as a, as a six-part story. You know, we did four on our own that we self-financed. Um, but it took, us, it took us a couple of years to do those four issues. And we really wanted to get, this, uh, get these last two done a lot quicker. And, uh, and then the only way that we, that we had to do that... You know, was to, was to go out and get some financing. Awesome. Well, it, it's definitely great that, you know, you guys were able to meet your goal, and I, and I do look forward to, to reading the book. But another thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap this up is what are your overall thoughts on the comic book industry today? Because, you know, you have all these hit movies based off of comic books like Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Iron Man. Has that increase the popularity of comic books themselves? I, I, I think it has. Uh, I, I, the funny thing is, you know, we've spent, you know, the entire time that I've, that I've been working in comics since the early 90s, you know, have pretty, pretty much been spent around doomsday scenarios, you know, everybody thinking that, you know, this was all going to come crashing down on us. And then a few years ago, uh, things started turning around, and we're really seeing growth and real success uh, in comics now but it doesn't look like what anyone thought it was going to look like you know comic shop sales really haven't grown that much they've grown a little but not a lot where all of the growth is coming from is kind of uh, outside of the traditional channels that we were expecting you know growth is coming from digital growth is coming from print on demand you know growth is coming from you know people doing web comics um, it's coming from outside the traditional channels, but but it is it's undeniable that that comics are growing and 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 bigger than they've been, you know, pretty much any time in a generation. And uh, one of the one of the last things I wanted to ask you was, or ask both of you, do you have any advice that you would like to give to anyone who might want to work in the comic book industry? Maybe not you know specifically like as a writer or an artist, just. You know, if they wanted to do anything in the comic book industry, would you have any type of advice to give them? 
read a lot of comics. You know, that's the first thing. Read a lot of comics. Really understand what what the medium is. You know, what it what it consists of. Learn the difference between uh, telling a story as a comic and telling a story as a as a TV or a movie or as a novel. I know there's a lot of people right now that like to conflate comics with movies. They're not the same thing. Right. You know, telling telling a story in comics is very different. You know, I, I studied in in college as a as a playwright and screenwright, and and comics are very very different forms, are are a very different form than 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 movies or TV shows. And I think it's it's a mistake for people to try to write a comic the same way they would try to write a TV show. Um, if you if you just want to work in comics and it doesn't matter to you. Uh, if you're making the comic all on your own, which is, you know, very, very possible, you know, it's easy for, or it's not easy, but it's very possible for, for one person to do, to ev- to do everything, to write the story, to, to you know, to, to, to do the artwork, to letter it, to color it, and to publish it. You know, one person can do it all. But if, if you want to do that, terrific. If you just want to work, uh, in, on any slot of that assembly line, uh, then you need to learn how to do every slot on that assembly line because you never know, you know, when uh, when something might pop up that you know you could take advantage of. Um, if you're, you know, if you're a ridiculously talented artist like Steven, then you know you're probably better off focusing on that one thing that you're better at than anybody else. But uh, but if you're, you know, if you're a guy like me who just wants to make comics and it doesn't matter, you know, what you you know, what slot of the line you're working on, then learn how to do everything as best you can. I'll add to that. <clears throat> whenever I first uh, got into the, and I can only speak as an artist because that's what I've always, I've always done. But whenever I first started uh, with those two guys, Roland and Mitch, uh, Mitch was an awesome, awesome artist, but he, he had never inked anything before. And I had trained myself, I want to make it into this, in this business no matter what. So I, I taught myself as an artist, I taught myself to pencil, to ink, to letter, to to do, to lay out a little bit of little bit of everything. I wanted to be proficient in it, and so even though I wanted to draw that comic that we that we uh, that we were all putting together, I knew that to, in order to make it work, we had to function as a team. And so I I gave up my wanting to pencil the book uh, in in order to uh, to ink uh, uh, the book, knowing that some one day down the road I was going to get my chance you know at uh, at inking came a lot quicker than I thought that it was that it was going to but if I would have stayed an inker I would have been happy it would have been it would have been cool I really enjoy I still enjoy inking even though I mostly uh, just ink myself uh, uh, these days but also speaking as a as an artist and I see this all the time a lot of kids come up to me I want to make it in the comic industry and there's plenty of opportunity today uh, Barry runs a company that that makes it that makes it so much easier uh, than ever before, where you can do it all yourself and publish it. Your, you know, publish it yourself. Uh, do a do a grassroots thing. Take it to it like we're doing with uh, with the uh, with the John Amon project, where you and, and get the word out for it. Uh, you've got to love to do this job to do it, and it's 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 kind of easy to see the ones that actually have that spark and that creativity and the drive uh, drive is very important uh, in this, you know, in this industry to stay with it. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking very honestly here. Uh, you're, you're not, we're not in this, 
we're in this because we love it. And, and I've been very fortunate to make a living at doing it for 26 years now. But it's not always been easy. Life as a freelancer, and both of you guys should know exactly what I'm talking about, is not, you've got, sometimes you've just got to hustle uh, to make it to make it work. But to me, it's all, it's, uh, it's all worth it because I love doing it. And so the love of the medium has to pr- pretty much precede every, everything else. No, I I totally agree with that, and, and like you said, as a freelancer, you you have to you have to hustle. You you really do because it, it's it's really you know and the stuff I do, and it sounds like you guys are the same. It, it's definitely a, a labor of love. It's not just about the yes. money. It's about doing what you love to do. Yes, I agree. I I officially retired from freelancing about a decade ago, and and and, and I miss it like I miss a toothache. I, 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 I absolutely love working in comics. I, I live and breathe comics. It's what I think about, you know, most of the day. But, uh, but, but I have no desire to ever freelance again. It, it, it has its pros and cons, for sure. Oh, yeah. But uh, last thing I wanted to ask you guys, do you have any uh, like websites or social media that you'd like to plug, you know, for Gallant Comics or, you know, maybe for yourselves? Well, at, at gallantcomics.com, there's, uh, we've got uh, the, the entire story to date is up there online. You can, anyone can read it for free right now. You know, John Amon numbers one through four are all, uh, all at gallantcomics.com. Uh, there's also, uh, uh, we, have a, we have a Facebook page uh, at Gallant Comics, I, I believe. You should be able just to search it and, and find it. It's G-A-L-L-A-N-T. Um, Barry Gregory at Twitter and uh, Stephen. I uh, I don't have a website personally, uh, so whenever I ask somebody asks me about a website, if I have one, I just direct them to the uh, to the Galacomics dot com site because it has all of my all of my uh, recent you know recent work that really matters to me anyway. Uh, and but I do have a uh, uh, a Stephen Butler Studios Facebook page, and uh, I, I've I got. I am the anti-technological guy. I'm, just, I'm, I'm as old school as you can get. My daughter had to get me uh, had to get me on this Skype thing. So uh, so anyway, if I'm if I'm sounding like a chromagnon man when I'm talking to you, you'll understand. Um, but um, I, I, the whenever I got on Facebook, it it I was not. I just wanted to kind of share my artwork on there. I wasn't. I've heard all kind of stuff about, oh, you get on social media, it'll take over your life, and you'll, you won't get anything done. But I said, well, I, I want to use it just as a way of saying, this is what I do, this is, this is my work. I, what I was not expecting was the, was the sheer volume of uh, commission requests that I would get from there, uh, and starting from pretty much from day one. And uh, it's, it's been really, really nice, to, to, and it's a good tool to use to uh, to advertise what we're doing uh, at uh, at Gallant Comics, and I think I had already kind of created a uh, a, a log of, of uh, fans, I guess, that have gotten previous commissions from me that are repeat commission uh, commission getters, whatever you want to call them, uh, and and I think that that helped whenever we put the uh, put the reward level of uh, of getting a commission. And uh, it, it really helped us. Uh, it really helped us uh, reach our goal. And so, to that, I'm very, I'm very thankful. So, yeah, uh, Stephen Butler Studios at Facebook. 
Fantastic. And in closing, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you to both of you for uh, taking the time to do the interview, and uh, and it was great. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you, Derek. I really appreciate it. It's great. Thank you once again to Stephen Butler and Barry Gregory for that fantastic interview and a great look into the world of comic books. Next week, we'll be returning to the world of film with film director Vito Labruno. And trust me, you'll definitely want to check out that episode. Not only do we talk about film, but we also talk about how Hurricane Sandy affected the production of his film, The Last American Guido, and what it was like to work as a police officer on September 11th, 2001. And don't forget to check out all of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and NerdCaveNetwork.com. Every Monday, we have the Derek Diamond Experience. Tuesday is the Nerd Cave Podcast. Every other Friday, we have Time for Comics. And now on Saturdays, we have the Pop Culture Palette. Don't forget to check out the website, NerdCaveNetwork.com, for all great content with podcasts, YouTube videos, news articles, and so much more. Definitely check it out. But until next week, I'm your host, Derek Diamond. This has been another fantastic episode of the Derek Diamond Experience, and we'll see you guys next Monday. Listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.